What is up, everybody? How's it going? Who's excited to be in church on this Sunday morning? Come on. Best day of the week, right? Yeah. So I am uh, Skylar Val. I'm the pastor of youth and young adults here at Rooftop Church. I want to give a couple quick shout outs before I begin. Um, I'm pretty sure we've got uh, a youth leader on a camera back there, one of our youths on a camera over here, and in the directing role, we've got Anna Shragi. So our whole production this morning is put on by our high school students. So let's give them a round of applause. How incredible is that? And also, uh, on a personal note, I'm going to get sappy here real quick. My dad is here. This is the first time he's ever heard me preach, so I'm really excited. So I'm going to give my dad... Uh, a hand clap. I'm super, super pumped about that. He came all the way from Kentucky this morning, so I'm excited about that. So, jumping into the message. So, that was part um, of the trailer from the movie called Pay It Forward. And so, Trevor's the main character, and he's in seventh grade, and his social studies teacher, um, he gives them an assignment to devise and put into action a plan that will change the world for the better. And so Trevor's plan is a charitable program based on the networking of good deeds, and he calls his plan Pay It Forward, which means the recipient of a favor then does a favor for three others rather than paying the favor back. However, it needs to be a major favor that the recipient cannot complete for themselves. So today we will be looking at a favor that God did for his people, and with that favor comes a responsibility to pay it forward, a charitable good deeds network of sorts in order to make the world a better place. So we are currently in week six of our sermon series called Isaiah for Today. We're going to spend the next nine or ten months going through the writings of the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah was an eighth century Hebrew prophet, and he lived in the latter half of Israel's kingdom period, meaning about seven, eight hundred years before Jesus. Um, And so he spoke on behalf of God to the leaders of Jerusalem and to Judah. And he warned them that if they persisted in their wicked ways, that God would use the kingdoms of Assyria and Babylon to judge them for their evil deeds. So in order to better understand um, the book, we have broken up the series into some smaller sub-series, starting with the one that we're currently in, which is called Judah's Sins, National disaster. And so Judah, like us, was a people who struggled with many things. They struggled with immorality, false um, religions, pagan worship, idolatry, and injustice, which is the topic of today's message called, The Job is Not Finished. Look at your neighbor and say, Job's Not Finished. So let's begin our reading today in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 21 through 31. If you do not have a Bible, that is okay. We're going to have the words up on the screen for you so that you can follow along as well. So Isaiah 1, 21 through 31. How the faithful city has become like a prostitute. She who is full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water, your princes are rebels and they're companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and they run after gifts. Listen here, they do not bring justice to the fatherless, to the orphans, and the widow's cause does not come to them. 
Therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you. I will smelt away your drosses with lye and remove all your alloy, and I will restore your judges at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For it shall be like an oak whose leaf withers and like a garden without water and the strong shall become tender and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. So in order to better understand this passage, what I want to do is I want to go all the way back to the beginning. I want to go to the very first book of the Bible. We're going to go to Genesis, um, and we're going to start in uh, chapter 12. We're just going to read a few verses. So Genesis 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Underline this, pay attention, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here we see God choosing Abraham, and from him will be a great nation, which we know to be Israel. But notice what God says. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is making it very clear from the beginning that God is blessing the people of Israel. God is blessing the ancient Israelites so that they will be a blessing, so that they can pay it forward. He is blessing them so that all the nations and people groups and tribes of the whole earth will find refuge and love and care. And he's doing them a favor. And he is not asking them to pay him back because they cannot. But he is asking that they pay it forward, that they show the world the same kindness, mercy, grace, love, and compassion that he has shown them. They are blessed in order to be a blessing. God's people, the people of Judah, they have become unfaithful. He has made a covenant with them, a marriage to bless them and protect them. And their job or their marriage vows is to be a light to the nations. But as God looks upon his city, as we read, it says he, he looks for, for justice and faithfulness. But what he sees is infidelity and injustice. Where there used to be righteousness, God says now there's murder. And so a key verse here, it says, they do not bring justice to the fatherless, to the orphans, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Instead of serving the most vulnerable of society, Isaiah tells us that there is no justice for the orphans and the widows are neglected. The faithful city has become the unfaithful city. And so a common theme throughout the book of Isaiah is this, it's justice. There are 130 verses in the book of Isaiah about it. 130. Isaiah 117 says this, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the orphans, plead the case of the widows. So what is justice? What is biblical 
godly justice. In the Old Testament, God's justice is connected to his righteousness and to the law as an external reflection of who he is and what his will is. So therefore, to be in a covenant relationship with him, in order to be in a marriage with him, is to be observant of the law, which means to obey God by loving one's neighbor and caring for society's most vulnerable. And this is exercising justice. Violating God's law means to directly violate justice. And to dishonor God. When you violate the law, there is punishment, but God's punishment carries both retribution but also also restoration. Aren't you glad for that this morning? Biblical justice has social, political, and economic dimensions, but not like you may think. The people of God, because of our covenant relationship with him, have a responsibility to each other, and we have a responsibility to the world around us. We as the people of God are to exercise justice in every single relationship. We are to reflect God and his nature, which is holiness and righteousness. This week, um, Emily Conan, she's one of our college women's leaders. Um, she posted on her Instagram story and she said, love your neighbor because no person is perfect and no political view can heal this broken world. Well said, Emily. Justice does not belong to the Democrats. Justice does not belong to the Republicans. Justice belongs to the Lord. Amen? Now let's jump back to Isaiah. Isaiah 49, 6 says this, I will make you as a light to the nations, a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. He is saying, you are saved so that now others may be saved. Chapter 60, verse 3 says, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So here we're going to have a map. It's going to pop up here. Map. Where are we at? Boom. There we go. We got a map. And you can see right here where Judah and Jerusalem are. They are right smack dab in the middle of Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, and Persia down here. And right over here is the Mediterranean Sea. They are in the Route 66 of the ancient Near East. They are right smack dab into the middle of all of the powers. So if any of them want to communicate or travel or trade, they have to go through. Can you see this here? They have to go through Judah, and they have to go through Jerusalem. It is no coincidence that they are placed right here in the middle of all of the world's powers of the day. They are situated perfectly to be a light to the world. When people of Persia and Assyria and Egypt and Babylon travel through Judah and Jerusalem, which they will have to, God intended for them to see a people who cared for the poor, who cared for the sick, who cared for the refugee, who cared for the widow, who cared for the orphans, a people united in love under the rule of God. They're supposed to be a light to the world, but notice what happens instead? In Isaiah 5, 7, it says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but he heard instead cries of distress. So God has created the nation of Israel to be a light to the world. 
But it says Israel has become like a prostitute, where there used to be righteousness, now there was murder. There is no justice for the orphan or for the widow. The most vulnerable of society are not cared for, but rather they are ignored, they are taken advantage of, and they are denied justice. The people of Jerusalem are in direct defiance of God, who said, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. They are in direct defiance of who God has called them to be and what their marriage vows say they are supposed to do. And so listen to what God says. He says, therefore, the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and I will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. If our relationship is a covenant, like a marriage, what happens in a marriage, think about it, if you break your vows? What happens in a marriage if you break your vows? What happens in a marriage if one partner does not value the covenant that you both made together? They do not uphold the responsibilities in the relationship. And they continually engage in infidelity and in extramarital relationships. What happens? That covenant is broken, and the marriage ends in divorce. And so God is telling us his people have become calloused and cruel. And the Bible says in verse 25 that God turns his hand against them. The message translation says, I give you the back of my hand. God's chosen people, the people whom he set apart, that he created a special covenant relationship with, the people that he called out to be different, have now become his enemies, and they were exiled and they were conquered by the kingdoms of Babylon and Assyria. And so God commanded his people to be holy like he is holy. He set them apart to be a light to the nations, and they failed. But you may be asking or wondering or thinking, well, this stuff happened like 3,000 years ago. Is this passage for us today? Well, we now as Christians are God's chosen people. In the most famous sermon of all time, Jesus says this on the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. Does that sound familiar? He gave us a mandate to be a light to the nations, a city on a hill, a beacon of hope for the world. He left us with a mandate and that job's not finished. Look at your neighbor and say, that job's not finished. In the 2009 NBA Finals, the Lakers were up two wins to zero against the Orlando Magic. Uh, so they're winning two games to nothing. And Kobe Bryant, after the game, was asked why he was still so intense, why he wasn't more relaxed, because they're up, they're winning two games to zero. And his response to the interviewer was, job's not finished. Is the job finished? And so what he's saying there is he knows there is still work to be done. Yes, his team is winning, but there is still more games to be played. There is still more to be done. They have not yet held up the trophy in victory yet. And yes, we are doing great things here at Rooftop Church. We have homeless ministries. We help feed and clothe the homeless and the less fortunate. We have groups of people who 
you know, get all their money and their stuff together, and they go down to Mexico, and they build houses, and, and that's amazing, and we have this awesome building, and we have awesome music, and we have awesome teaching, and we have lots of small groups. We're doing great, but we must realize that the job is not finished. There's still work to be done. There's still more opportunities for us as God's people to pay it forward. So how do we as God's people live out this calling to be a light to the nations, a light to the world? Well, we must realize that we are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. We are blessed. Can we get the slide? We are blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. There we go. And so we're blessed so that we can be a conduit by which God's blessings flow through us to the world. Our role today as his church is this, obey God by loving one's neighbor, caring for society's most vulnerable, and that is exercising justice. But are we? Ask yourself this morning, are you using your blessings to bless others? Yes, the church is the most generous and charitable institution in the history of the world. But on a micro level, are you a conduit by which God blesses other people? We are supposed to be kingdom people, which means that we care about the things that God cares about. He cares about unborn babies, so we care about unborn babies. He cares about black people getting killed in the street, so we care about black people getting killed in the street. He cares about cops getting killed, we care about cops getting killed. He cares about Ahmaud Arbery, we care about Ahmaud Arbery. He cares about Breonna Taylor, so we care about Breonna Taylor. God cares about orphans, we care about orphans. God cares for the homeless, so we care for the homeless. And it isn't enough just to post on social media about this. God clearly states that we must seek justice, correct oppression, and we must be, as Paul says, ministers of reconciliation. We are to be a light to the nations. We are to be shining lights for Jesus Christ. God cares for those who are victims of injustice. God cares for those whose society has overlooked. God cares for the most vulnerable, and he has called us and given us the responsibility to take care of them. James tells us in his letter, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. As a follower of Jesus, it isn't enough just to come in here and sit in here on Sunday morning. Christianity is not about having perfect church attendance. If you do not love God in a way that manifests itself in a love for others, you must stop calling yourself a Christian because you are not one. If you have perfect church attendance and have all the church stats, but you do not care for your neighbor, James tells us your religion is worthless. In verse 21 through 16, Excuse me, in verse 12 through 16 in Isaiah chapter 1, uh, we covered it a, a couple weeks ago. Pastor Jeremy gave us a great sermon on this passage. Uh, God is talking to his people, and he says, Your acts of worship and prayers are an abomination to me. He says that he turns away and he closes his eyes. So as the people are worshiping and praying to him, God says he does this. Why does he do that? Because they have no love 
for their neighbor. They went through the motions. They came to church, put on their Sunday best. They sang the songs. They listened to the preacher. They went home. They took a nap, all the while ignoring the homeless person on the side of the road, and they didn't give them any change because they were probably going to go buy drugs with it anyway. I met two prostitutes a few months ago. It was about 1 a.m., and my friends um, and I were passing out water and toiletries, and we sat with them, and we listened to their stories, and they were mothers and daughters and sisters, and they're children of God. And they just had all of their things stolen, and all they had were the clothes on their backs. We got to pray with them, we got to hug them, and we gave them Bibles and tampons. And they looked at us and said that was the nicest thing that anyone had ever done for them. Think about that. The nicest thing that anyone had done for these two women in their entire lives was give them a Bible and a tampon. If we are truly Christ's ambassadors here on earth, we must understand the responsibility that that title of Christian holds. It means that you are a new creation. It means you are a minister of reconciliation. It means you are an agent of change called by God to impact the world wherever you go. And like the geographical placement of the nation of uh, Jerusalem and, and, and uh, Judah, you are placed right smack dab in the middle of this broken, scared, confused, unjust world in order to be a shining light for Jesus. You, rooftop church, the body of Christ, are God's plan for St. Louis. You, rooftop church, the body of Christ, are God's plan to redeem and restore his broken creation. But do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that about yourself? And I want you to think for a moment, who are the widows and who are the orphans in your life? Who are the most vulnerable of society that God has put in your path or put in your life? And then ask yourself, what are you doing to help them? Maybe it isn't literally an orphan or a widow. Maybe it's the homeless person that you pass every day on your way to work and you ignore them and pretend not to see them. Or maybe it is literally orphans. Our Fostering Faithful Family is co-hosting an event this month as part of our monthly uh, summit series on the topic of the church's response to the orphan care crisis. You can register right now at rooftop.org summit and see how you can literally be a shining light for a child in need right now. You, Rooftop Church, you are right here for a reason, and that is to be a shining light for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? And so here are three dimensions of life where we, the church, can bring about biblical, godly justice and where we need to be a light to the nations. We've got three points. Number one, social. Number two, political. Number three, economic. Ooh, this should be fun. Number one, social. Justice in our relationships. We must begin to see people as God sees them. Simple as that. Recognizing that all people were created in the image of God. It is a mandate upon Christ's followers that we pursue physical and spiritual freedom for the oppressed so that they can all become who they are created to be. So how are we exercising biblical justice socially? Well, first, let me just say there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in this country as far as racial reconciliation goes. 
I came to St. Louis and was exposed to a lot of racism that exists within me. In my hometown, do you want to know what we call the black part of town? Call it colored town or crack corner. In 2020, if you went to my hometown and asked for crack corner, they would know exactly what you were talking about and wouldn't bat an eye. We still view our black brothers and sisters with negative racist stereotypes. There is still a lot of work to be done. But practically, practically, what can we do here at home, here at Rooftop Church? Well, you can reach out to Justin Stone and find out how you can get plugged into the homeless ministry. You can reach out to Gerilyn Aarons and find out how you can be part uh, of the uh, FFF or the as we like to call them. You can reach out to Steve Schroggy and get info on the Mexico mission trip, or you can reach out to me and find out how you can be a youth leader and get involved and make uh, an impact in the lives of the next generation of leaders. As a church, we absolutely need to partner with those who are doing the work of social justice, but we must not forget what our mission is. Our mission is not about picking a cause because it looks good on social media. Our mission is to fully embrace the cause of Christ and see that all people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, that all people are reconciled to God by way of Jesus Christ. This is biblical justice. Number two, this is the fun one, political. Number two, political justice in our government. What does it look like to exhibit biblical justice in politics? Well, first, we must come to the realization that Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is not a Republican. Our identity should not be founded in a political party. Justice is not a Republican platform. It is not a Democratic platform. God is justice, and we are to be kingdom people who transcend these political affiliations. So how do we exhibit biblical justice in the world of politics? I'm going to ask you some questions, and I just want you to think. You don't have to answer these out loud. That'd be embarrassing. When you support a candidate, do you support the candidate that is best for you and your own interests, or do you vote with a Christ-like mindset, putting the needs of others before yourself? When we watch the debates, we listen to who has our best interest at heart. Well, none of them do. That's a sermon for a different time. <laughs> but when we vote and support a candidate, we vote for who tickles our ears, who sounds good to us? Who says the things that we want to hear? But what about those in society who have no voice? Do we vote with them in mind or do we seek to serve our own interests? How do we exhibit political justice simply by obeying God and his mandates, which are love your neighbor and care for society's most vulnerable people? However you vote, vote for justice. And number three, our last point, economic, justice with our money. How are we, as the body of Christ, how are you spending your money? We are called to be people who do not hold our material wealth with tight fists, but rather we are called to be people who extend our resources and our wealth with open hands. James, the brother of, of Jesus, writes to his church, the first church, um, the mother church of Christianity in Jerusalem, and listen to what James tells his congregation of Jesus' followers. James 2, verse 15 through 17, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, 
go in peace, be warm and filled, without actually giving them the things that they need to do that, what good is it? And he says, so also by faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Essentially, James is saying, your faith is useless. If you see someone in need and you do nothing, your faith is useless. If you see someone cold and hungry and say, go and be warm and filled. None of us have magic wands and can just magically do that. Translation, if you see someone in need and don't do anything, and you say, yeah, I'll pray for them. To see someone in need and blatantly ignore them on your way to fill your belly after listening to this message is a useless kind of faith. It is useless because it does not minister to the one who is in need. Jesus ministers to people in love via your actions. I'm going to say that again so you get it. Jesus ministers to people in love via your actions. And those who have an abundance and have plenty can be used by God to help the needy. We have not been blessed so that we can build up our own wealth, our own 401k, buy a nicer car, buy a bigger house. We have been blessed so that we can be blessings. When you are blessed, you are now supposed to be a conduit by which God's blessings flow now to others. You are to be a light to the world. And one practical step that you can take this morning with your money is by paying your tithes. Part of what, we, uh, part of what you give every month goes towards helping those in need, whether that's helping the homeless um, with the homeless ministry or it's by uh, sending people down to Mexico to build houses. And so as we wrap up, as we conclude, I want to read uh, another passage of, of Scripture from James. This is James 2, verse 26. I don't want you to be crushed by this, but I want you to feel the weight of the words this morning. He says this, For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So think of a tree. It is not the leaves or the apples or the fruit on it that make it alive, right? No. A tree that is alive and rooted strongly is a tree that is alive and it produces leaves and apples and fruit. Therefore, we must be alive in Christ. We must be grounded and rooted in Jesus in order to produce this fruit. We do not do these works to earn love to get the love of God. But God loves us, so now we get to love others, and we get to do this work. The works that faith creates is a love for God that leads to a love for your neighbor. And I don't want us to be a church of followers of Jesus who have just learned the Christian behavior, and we've learned the Christian posture, and we've learned the Christianese. We know the right words to say when we pray but a church of fully devoted followers of Jesus who wholeheartedly love God and wholeheartedly love their neighbor. As followers of Jesus, our sense of justice is imparted to us by our creator who is loving, who is merciful, who is righteous, who is holy, and justice. And his justice comes with retribution, but also restoration. So let's go back to our passage that we started in in Isaiah chapter 1. Sort of verse 25, I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove your impurities 
saying, I will clean you up and I will restore your leaders as in days of old, your rulers as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion will be delivered with justice, her penitent ones, those who repent with righteousness. So God is saying he will restore the unfaithful city and once again make that the faithful city. That is, guess what? His church. And he wants you to be a part of it. And we have to look no further than Jesus for our standard of righteousness and justice. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life for you. And he died on the cross for your sins. And he rose again to make right that which was wrong. It is because of Jesus' work on the cross that we can be justified this morning. Jesus demonstrates for us in the Gospels the example of how we are to care for the outcast, how we are to care for the poor, how we are to care for those that society has overlooked. It is clear as we look at the life of Jesus and the mandate given to us by God, we, as the hands and the feet of Jesus, are called to combat injustice, and we are called to live lives that promote justice. We, like Christ, are called to call out evil and care for the vulnerable and to make right that which is wrong. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for your grace and for your love and for your mercy. Lord, we are justified by your grace that you would save us. And you saved us. You chose us to be your people. And not just so that it would terminate on itself, Lord, but you saved us so that we could be a light to the nations. So help us to have that mentality. Help us to get out of this this Christian bubble that now I'm saved and my family's saved and so we're good. Help us not to have this cruise ship mentality, but a battleship mentality. Help us, Lord, to understand that we are your people and we are called out so that we could be a light to the nations, that we could be a shining light for you, Jesus. So give us the wisdom, give us the knowledge, give us the strength, Lord, give us your Holy Spirit and give us those opportunities so that we could go out and we could serve you in this community, Lord, that we could actually live out the calling that is on our life here at Rooftop Church, that we wouldn't just be a bunch of people who come in here and sit in here on Sunday morning, but we would be your church. We would come in here and breathe in and then we would walk out and breathe out. And we thank you so much for that. And we thank you again for your love and for your grace and for your mercy. And all God's people said, amen.